Again, as we continue in this sermon series, Daily Reminders, The Spiritual Power of Habit, we're looking at cultivating in our lives some small holy habits which will help to draw us closer to God. Last week, we looked at all of the small things that we do each and every day without even noticing that become habits in our lives some of them for good and some of them for more destructive ways. And what we've talked about is how to, how to track our habits and how to look at adding in holy moments throughout the day that'll help to change our lives and our habits to grow us closer to God. And today, we're going to look at the practice, maybe even a habit, of being quiet and listening. Our scripture today comes to us from 1 Kings 19. Hear the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, as we seek to transform our lives through your Holy Spirit with a spiritual power of habit, will you open us up this day as we practice listening that we might hear you? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I don't think I'm alone here, but let me see. How many of you, when you were in grade school, uh, were ever marked as someone who had a little bit of a difficult time listening? Okay, a couple of you. I, I appreciate that you're willing to admit that with me. Um, listening is challenging for children. Listening is challenging for adults. Listening is very challenging, especially in a noisy world like ours. I talked about it briefly last week when I talked about how I had reset my phone and didn't realize that all of the notifications were going to pop up for every single app on there. Amidst all the dings and the rings and the buzzes, I can guarantee that at some point in the worship service this morning, if your phone's not off, and now some of you are going to check it, we'll hear a ring, or at least there will be a buzz interrupting the, 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 our time together. Or in the morning when you go outside in your homes, now unless you live way far out in the country somewhere, then, then you'll hear a gentle hum of vehicles on the road. At our house, if you listen carefully, you can hear, it doesn't take that hard to listen to the sound of 99 right there, or, or students walking to the local middle school, neighbors engine revving, especially one with his loud dirt bike that, yes, everybody hears it every morning, we know you're there. Or lawnmowers and, and grounds crews starting up their, uh, their equipment at the least convenient times. Babies crying, dogs barking, lots of noise. And some of us, when we get in our cars, we want to have that moment of quiet maybe, and what we hear is an engine starting and our radio turns on, it's XM, AM, FM, or our Bluetooth. We're automatically connected to music or talking of choice. It's entirely possible 
that we could go through an entire day without a true moment of quiet. I wonder when the last time you truly experienced quiet. Now, I know that there are some here this morning who experienced far more quiet than they would like to, and I think there's a word for you here at the end. But for those of us who can think of our days and hear all of the noise and all of the busyness, it may be difficult to find. In fact, life being too quiet is a bit unnerving. I think back to a few years ago when the movie A Quiet Place premiered, and I love to go to the movies, and I have this strange habit. I like to go to the movies by myself. Um, part of the reason why is I don't have anybody that's going to talk to me, right? And in the movie, The Quiet Place, uh, this is the idea of the movie is that there are monster aliens that have invaded the earth, and they're not activated unless they hear a noise. So they have this supersonic hearing where they can hear every footstep. And so in the theater, if you can imagine, everyone is on edge, trying to be as quiet as possible, lest they wake up these alien monsters as well. People were not chewing popcorn. They weren't slurping on their drinks. They were totally quiet, and it was disconcerting to say the least. As much as that movie demonstrates a fear of silence, the world around us seems to be as equally afraid or hesitant about being quiet, because it's uncomfortable, it's strange. Uh, in 1952, a pianist um, by the name of, let's see, I almost have it here, excuse me, uh, by the name of David Tudor played a classic piece of John Cage's four minutes and 33 seconds. The, 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 uh, the pianist sat at the piano and uh, he opened up the, the lid of the piano and set a stopwatch for 43 seconds. He sat in front of the piano without playing a single note at all. Then he opened up the lid once again and shut it before sitting back down without his hands on the keys and playing for two minutes and 40 seconds. And then he did so again for one final interval of the song for another minute and 20 seconds. You see, the piece, four minutes, 33 seconds, was made entirely out of rests. There's not a single sound. And you can imagine just how strange it seemed to those who had gathered. Most of us try to avoid silence at any, at any cost, but for one laboratory in, uh, in Minnesota, they attempted to create the quietest place on earth to see what effect it would have on humans. In this place, it is negative nine decibels, and they found that the longest that anyone could tolerate being in there was for 45 minutes. Because the place was so quiet that you could hear your heart beating, you could hear your lungs breathing, you could hear your digestive system processing, you could even hear the blood moving through your veins. As imagined, that kind of quiet is deeply disorienting and strange. James Howell, pastor at Myers Park United Methodist in Charlotte, talked about our fear of silence. He says, we are afraid of silence and so we chase ourselves from one event to another, from one experience to the next, all to avoid looking at ourselves in the mirror. We're afraid of self-discovery. We're afraid of God, afraid that God might know us, afraid that God might disturb us, afraid that maybe God might really take us somewhere we prefer not to. Silence is not the absence of noise. Rather, silence changes our ways of using our mind. Silence is our soul's availability to God. Could it be 
that in our lack of silence, our lack of quiet, we have made ourselves incapable of hearing the voice of God? Could it be that this fear of silence, the inability to simply sit quietly and listen, may be at a root of many of our problems? Blaise Pascal in the 17th century put it this way, all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. That might have been the case for the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah was not one who you would often associate silence. The prophet Elijah was one who everything that he did was bigger and better than all of the prophets before him. He was associated with great miracles that had been done, thunder booming, the, the shutting up of the, of the rains for three years, and powerful storms. Elijah was this powerful prophet who led during the divided kingdom of Israel. For those of you who may need a backstory on, on this time, uh, during this time there were two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah. And as you read through 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, what you find is this alternating pattern of bad king, good king. There's a bad king, and what the bad king does is the bad king would allow worship of other gods, of other gods, uh, along with the worship of Yahweh. And what good kings did is that they would only worship God. No other altars would be set. So Elijah finds himself as a prophet during the time of the bad king Ahab, who through his wife's leading had led uh, the people to begin to worship the gods of Baal and the god of Asherah. During this time, Elijah had many great miracles, and he prophesies a drought that happens for over three years. Then at the end of that drought, Elijah calls King Ahab to, uh, to assemble all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah up on the top of Mount Carmel. And so King Ahab does. There are 450 prophets of Baal. There are 400 prophets of Asherah. And there Elijah puts before them a divine contest. He says, okay, you take wood and a bull. I'm going to take wood and a bull. And we're going to see who the true God is. So the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they build the altar, they place the bull on it, and they begin to pray from morning till, till the afternoon. In the afternoon, Elijah comes and begins to mock them, and I'm not making this up. In, in 1 Kings 19, 18, he says something like this, shout louder, maybe your God is daydreaming, or maybe your God's on a trip, or maybe in the bathroom. <laughs> Wake him up. And so the prophets of Baal continue to fanatically uh, louder and louder and do all of these things to try to get God's attention. But in the very evening, they find that there's been no sound, no reply from God. So then Elijah creates his altar and he sets, his, sets the bull on top of the wood and he places 12 stones around it to signify the 12 tribes. And then he ups the ante by digging a trench around the altar and calling for his servants to bring forth four large jars of water. They pour them onto the altar, and Elijah says, hey guys, go do that again. And so they take those four jars, fill them with water, and pour them on there again. Elijah says, go and do that again. And they do it. They've had 12 large jars of water that have completely drenched and soaked the altar. And then he prays, oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God. And like that, fire came down from heaven and consumed not just the bull and the wood, but lapped up all the water as well. Well, then Elijah and the people 
uh, chase the prophets of Baal and Asherah into the valley, and they killed them there. And could you imagine that Jezebel and Ahab are not very happy about this? They're quite frustrated, they're irritated, they've been embarrassed before all of the people, and they want vengeance. And so Jezebel says uh, and puts out a public decree, may the gods strike me and even kill me by this time tomorrow if I've not killed you just as you have killed them. And so Elijah's afraid, and he runs for his life. Elijah, who has experienced the very power of God in so many ways, is now afraid, and he feels the silence and the absence of God. And so he runs all the way down 120 miles to the south to the place called Beersheba, where God had spoken to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When he gets to Beersheba in Judah, he leaves his servant, servant behind, and he goes about a day's journey into the middle of the wilderness where no one could be found. Elijah is ready to, get to, to have his life ended. He goes and he, he sits under a broom tree, and he says, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down and went to sleep. The Lord sends an angel. The angel feeds him. Elijah gets up, and the Lord's voice tells him to go another 40 days south to the mountain of Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. When Elijah arrives there, you can imagine the expectation that Elijah might have. You think about Mount Sinai, what do you think of? You think maybe Charleston, Charlton Heston and the, the movie The Ten Commandments, you see that mountain with the fire and the smoke billowing all around it and the loud voice of God that speaks and this powerful theophany that happens up there on top of Sinai. And so Elijah goes with these great expectations, and he hears a word from the Lord that says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah puts his complaint before God. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah, in some ways, as you hear his complaint at different places, are saying, I'm the only one who has stood up for you, God. I'm the only one who has done what you've called me to do. I'm the only one amidst all of the people who is following after your ways. And now, Elijah faces a place where he can no longer hear God, and he feels like he should just give up. And so the Lord says, go and stand on the mountain. And in Scripture, when you hear the mountain, typically it's talking about Mount Sinai, the place where God's presence and power was most potent, most visible, most memorable. And so, of course, what happens? But exactly what Elijah expects to happen, there is earth, wind, and fire. There's an earthquake. There's wind. There's fire. We hear this, that there was a great and powerful wind that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Only this time, the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the fire, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. All of these loud moments, all of these great sounds, Elijah is anticipating and expecting God to do something big and great to get his attention, but does not find the Lord's presence there, and does not hear the voice of God. August 27th, 1883, in Alice Springs, Australia, people could swear that they heard gunshots. At 50 other locations within hundreds of miles, people heard the exact same gunshots and had no idea what it was. Well, 2,300 miles away, Mount Krakatoa erupted in Indonesia. And there, the sound scientists estimate was 300 decibels, the loudest sound that has ever been heard on the earth. 
The power of this uh, volcano erupting was so great that it caused 3,000-foot tidal waves, that it threw rocks found from the mountain over 34 miles away and cracked a one-foot-thick block of concrete over 300 miles away, the most powerful sound that has ever been heard. On the complete opposite side of the world, if you were to drill into Mount Krakatoa and go straight down to the place as far as possible from the eruption, it, you would find yourself in Colombia. And of course, in Colombia, nobody heard the volcano. Nobody heard what seemed like gunshots. But as scientists evaluated what had happened that day, they found that there was a spike in atmospheric pressure because of the infrasonic waves that were caused the air to tense up and were present all the way from around the world. As one author commented about this, just because you can't hear a sound doesn't mean it's not there. Some sounds you just can't ignore, like earthquakes, wind, and fire. Others are completely imperceptible in the animal kingdom, there are those that are completely, uh, you can't ignore them. Uh, whales can produce a 200 decibel loud click for echolocation that can be heard thousands of miles away. And at the other end of the spectrum is the human whisper that registers at about 15 decibels. This is what Elijah hears. He hears a gentle whisper. There was a great and powerful wind that tore the mountains apart. The Lord was not in the wind. There was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And there was a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. And then came a gentle whisper. Other translations put it this way. The sound of a low whisper, the light murmuring sound, sound of gentle breeze, sheer silence, or of course, a still, small voice. I imagine the, it, it being this kind of noise, being kind of like a clock in your house that is always ticking. And when the house is loud and things are going on and the TV's on and people are moving around doing chores, you can't hear the clock, but maybe when it is completely quiet at night, you can hear that clock, always present, always ticking. Or it reminds me also of when I was growing up and as a youth in Sunday school, I had the privilege of having some of the parents teach us, including my dad. And, um, and, and, and in this Sunday school class, it was a packed room and we were all really happy to see each other. We didn't care anything about hearing about the prophets of Baal um, or any of the Bible lessons. And so it would get quite rambunctious and loud in there. And in that moment, uh, my dad, the teacher, had a couple of options. One, he could tell everybody uh, to be quiet and yell at them and try to get our attention. Number two, he could completely ignore us and let us take over the class. But he chose another option, and he began each lesson like this. And he just began to teach. And slowly but surely, the class quieted down because they could tell that something important was going on. He was still speaking, but only those who were paying attention could hear in the book by Mark Batterson, a pastor out in Washington, D.C., the book called Whisper, he tells the story of Dr. Alfred Tomatis, who is an otolaryngologist, which, that was hard for me to say, yeah, um, who, who, who has this mysterious case of an opera singer who comes 
to visit him one day. The opera singer complained that he was not able to produce the same sounds that he was, uh, that he was famous for throughout his career. And so Dr. Tomatis took a sonometer to measure the volume of sound, and he said, let her rip. Give me the biggest note you can. And so the opera singer began to sing, and the note that registered was 140 decibels, louder than a fighter jet taking off from an aircraft carrier. And even louder than that, as close as the opera singer's ears were. What Tomatis discovered is that the opera singer had become deafened to the sound of his own voice over the many years. Selective muteness, he said, was caused by his selective deafness, and he concluded by saying this, the voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. Uh, Batterson goes on to consider what it looks like for us to maybe have a spiritual tomatus effect, that we perceive all of our relational and emotional and spiritual problems, what they actually are, are hearing problems because our ears have been deafened to the voice of God, that our lives are so noisy that we can no longer hear the gentle whisper. So two points of application. The first is this. If we want to hear that gentle whisper, we have to create a place and a time for quiet. As we're in this daily reminder series to create a habit of quiet and listening, even in the midst of our busy lives. Jesus shows us this in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Jesus is about as busy as he could possibly be. He's just started healing people. He's preaching, teaching, calling disciples, and everybody wants a piece of him, right? Everybody wants to heal him. And Luke tells us this. The news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus could often be found in the wilderness, where it was completely quiet to get away and to listen for the voice of God. Elijah had to go somewhere to find it. Now, Elijah was chased there. He was forced there. He had to flee. And maybe that's what some of us need, to force ourselves to find a quiet place, a place where we can find little solitudes throughout the day. My mother-in-law called my house the loud house because, indeed, that's what it was when she would come to visit, especially when the children were younger. There was not a moment where there were not loud sounds throughout the house. It's difficult for us to find quiet in times like these. T.S. Eliot wrote this. He said, where shall the word be found? Where shall the word resound? Not here. There's not enough silence. So we've got to find a quiet place, a place for silence. Maybe it's at your desk. Maybe it's a chair in your home. Maybe it's in your car. You intentionally turn off all of the noise, but a place where you can simply be open and listen to the voice of God. Cultivate the habit of being quiet and listening. And secondly, when we listen and we hear and the Lord speaks, even in the smallest whisper, we have to be willing to obey. I find it interesting that the word obey in Latin, it includes the word for hearing. To hear is to obey. Obedience, what, this is, what the one definition based on the Latin is that listening is about the whole person. It's a listening with our ears and our heart and our arms and our legs. Listening and being willing to respond. J. 
James puts it this way, do not merely listen to the Word to deceive yourselves, but do what it says. We listen. We find ourselves in these places of quiet with expectation, uh, just like Elijah goes to the mountain expecting to hear from God, and though it didn't look anything like he thought it would, he leaned in with that expectation and he heard God in the silence, expecting that God is speaking, and then having the willingness to obey uh, 15 years ago, uh, at, when I was serving at Memorial Drive, it was Holy Week, and they would always have a prayer labyrinth laid out. I don't know if you've experienced a prayer labyrinth. Labyrinth, it's like a spiritual maze. And so you go in there, and the intention is to be quiet, to be prayerful, uh, and to walk through slowly. And I was dreading it, because uh, like maybe some of you, I'm not a person who enjoys that kind of quiet. But I wanted, to, I wanted to do what I was asking people to do, and so I, I entered into it. And over that season, I had felt very distant from God. And so I entered in asking that question, God, what do I need to do to draw closer to you? What do I need to do to hear your voice? And I began to slowly walk through, laboriously walking through, quietly walking through. And about when I got to the center, or close to the center, I, I heard within my spirit a voice that said something like, you got to stop drinking. I didn't, I didn't know that it had become a problem. I didn't know this was something that God would say. And at the time, I wasn't someone who was a fall-down drunk or uh, someone who was at the bar every night, it, but it had become a crutch. It had become something that I went to when I felt bad, when I felt great, um, when I didn't like the way I was feeling. I would turn more often to that source than I would to God in prayer. And so in that moment, I heard God in this way, so you got to quit drinking. And by the time I got out of the, the maze, I, I had forgotten that God had said that. I said, surely this is not what God was saying. And about two years followed, and, and, then, uh, and then God had to speak a little bit louder, <laughs> and I obeyed. And it's been uh, almost 13 years now, but the two years in between uh, were filled with heartbreak and pain, years that I wish I could do over years of difficulty in ministry and in marriage because I quieted myself and I heard, but I didn't obey. One author put it this way, to hear and not to do is not to hear at all. And so I wonder if even for those who are most comfortable with quiet, if in those moments we hear a prompting, a nudging, the still small voice of God, if we would have the courage and the willingness to obey. I wonder what it would look like if each of us would find our places of quiet and hear those promptings of God, that God wants to change our lives as we obey. Maybe we be the kind of people who, like Samuel, can say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening, and then having listened to do what he says. Let's pray together. God, we thank you and we praise you for this day, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to listen to you and for the reality that even when it is imperceivable, that you are still speaking. So help us to silent our hearts, to silent our world around us, that we might hear your voice. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.